Hi, and welcome to How to Wow, episode 91. Carfest is a not-for-profit well-being music food superstar and motorcar festival that has so far raised circa £25 million for UK children's charities. Check out what's happening this year by going to carfest.org. Carfest.org, that is, where you'll see our best ever lineup of guests, hosts, and rock and rollers, yet many of them staying with us the whole weekend, including the likes of Richard Hammond, Rob Brydon, Jimmy Carr, Lee Mack, Bryony Gordon, Eddie Izzard, Rick Astley, Craig David, Russell and Laura Brand, Texas McFly, the actual village people, Alex Horn, Angela Hartnett, Matt Tebbett, Michael Keynes, Atul Kutcher, Freya Ridings, Ben Miller, Dr. Rungan Chatterjee, Dr. Reapy, the happy pair, Melanie Sykes, the feelings, Sophie Ellis Baxter, Razorlight, Gokwan, Reef, the bootleg Beatles, and only Peter Flipping Andre, plus all the amazing car content, of course. Go to carfest.org now and come join us this August bank holiday weekend. All right, from that very event, let's cue a car. Conversation, a fascinating conversation today, starring Dr. Alex George. In this episode, he discusses his book, A Better Day. A Better Day is a positive, accessible, and practical toolkit guiding young readers in how they can care for their mental health with confidence. So, coming up, Dr. Alex George discussing his best selling book, A Better Day. Hello, hello, hello. Ooh, the the would you would you like the chaise? Do that, a legs up job here. Yeah, it is. <laughs> How is everybody? Hi, everyone. Hello, hello. What a lovely day, isn't it? Ah, oh, what a lovely day. Um, so I, I, I can only assume that I'm in good company with fellow bookworms. <laughs> with this being the author's stage. Um, and Alex, as you'll know, is already a Sunday Times best-selling author with another book, uh, Heart Out the Traps. This one, all about the mission that he's on, which is to help us better take care of young people's mental health. Um, and maybe you can explain just why that was so important to you, Alex. Gosh, the why is... A, is the, we, how, long, how long have we got? <laughs> 45 Why minutes. does it matter? Why is it important? Um, so yeah, I've, 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 my first book, Live Well Every Day, which I know we've, is kind of the title of this kind of session, uh, was the adult version of the children's book I'm now releasing, which is um, A Better Day. So um, I wrote uh, the adult book because I feel that it's the stuff I wish I knew coming out of med school or even out of university or even out of school. Um, And then I wrote A Better Day because I feel actually we need to work more on prevention and preventing mental illness and also giving people the tools to live life rather than just survive life um, at a young age. I think a lot of mental health support targets um, teenagers and people older than that. There isn't a lot of resources necessary necessarily that targets um, uh, younger children and actually, you know, helping them through the stages of, of going to secondary school and, and so on. Um, and which, in terms of- which we have to remember when a kid goes to secondary school, that's the biggest change in their young lives thus far, mm. right? It's a new environment. I mm. remember walking around secondary schools with my son and, and, and it just feeling enormous through his eyes. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, like yesterday, we hear the first set of results for um, the generation of, gosh, this chair's very small or I'm very big. Um, Join me first, over here. Have a sit. We've got plenty of room. <laughs> we, we hear the first set of results f- uh, from the GCSEs uh, for the kids that have done two years of studying in lockdowns. And we're yet to discover what the mental health hangover is from that. But to assume that there won't be one would be stupid, right? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the issue is, um, quite frankly, is that we have had a growing... Um, 
a gro growing problem in this in this country, really, of pressures on mental health services, waiting times, which are unacceptable. I think we all we all agree with that. I mean, there's um, I mean, children. Um, Alex, if I went to a GP now and asked to be referred, or for my child to be referred to um, a therapist, a counsellor, how long would I expect to wait? Well, put it like this: if you were seen, if you saw your GP and you needed to be seen by a mental health specialist in the CAM service, so Children's Mental Health Service, it depends where you are in the country, but parts of the parts of the country, it's two and a half years. You know, how long would you wait for any problem, let alone an issue where your child is struggling? I mean, I did an interview with a journalist the other day, and um, we were talking about the problem, which is um, which is what we're discussing today. And uh, she said to me, I am so acutely aware of this issue because I saw my GP uh, with, about my seven-year-old um, child last week and the GP said yeah you definitely need to be seen by the mental health service but just so you know your daughter might be nearly 10 by the time you actually see uh, you get support and uh, you know to kind of give an idea of the picture um, in England alone there are uh, there are 500,000 half a million kids on the waiting list to be seen by CAMS so that's kind of six or seven Wembley stadiums full of children that are struggling now the issue here I guess and what I've been trying to dig into the last few years is how do you solve that problem is the solution to fund cams more do we need is it having more mental health staff in that sector do we need to look at different solutions and and ultimately what we've as a collective as a as a group in the the coalition of mental health we kind of I think we've realised now more than ever we have to change our approach. Um, so community mental health services uh, were designed for about 3%, 2 or 3% of the population. They're not designed to deal with everything we're throwing at them. And to, to kind of uh, exemplify that, uh, every year nearly 100,000 referrals to mental health services are rejected. So that's where a child has waited two years, gone to see the service, gone, this is not the place that we can support you. Uh, and the reason is it's just not set up to deal with, with, with all the variety of issues that they can face. So what we need to do is, yes, we need to fund mental health services better and have CAMS waiting lists shortened, but we also need to take pressure off those and support children in other sectors. So um, one of the campaigns I'm running at the moment is to get early support hubs funded. So there are 190 CCGs in England. I want a hub in every single CCG, so in, in every locality, basically. And these hubs would serve um, teenagers all the way up to 25 years old, walk-in service, and it'll be it's really about having a community base that deals with um, the vast number of issues that actually culminates in, in mental illness or struggles. I think it's too simple, sorry just to finish this point, it's too simple, to, it's too oversimplified to say, right, someone feels depressed, um, let's give them counselling and medication and, you know, that, that's what we're going to do for this. Actually, the things that come together to cause mental illness, there's so many compounding factors. It yeah. can be relationships at home, it can be working environment, it can be stress around social media, it can be bullying. One of the biggest factors we know that predisposes to um, anxiety and depression as well for young people right now is bullying. Over half of young people are bullied at any one time uh, right now. And the big part of that is social media. You know, the bullying in the classroom, which maybe I experienced at school, I get home and I'm safe from it. But now yeah. you get yeah. home and the bullying online is infinitely worse. This is the words of young people, not mine. Infinitely worse than what they experience in the classroom. So these hubs need to be wraparound support. It needs to be identifying issues in that person's life uh, and supporting those issues whether that, whether that is therapy, whether it's loneliness and getting them back into communities, getting them to creativity. The young generation now is the loneliest generation ever. And we need that's, to change that. That's really heartbreaking. But we have the ability to change that. And, and Alex has actually positioned himself um, rather spectacularly. So 
you started to call the government out on some of this stuff because it is woefully underfunded and so much of what manifests itself in in, in people's poor mental health you then see on hospital wards and in A&E rooms and also you're able to kind of speak with colleagues on the ground to understand what is it we need to do to better serve young minds so that they grow into healthy adult minds um, so he then kind of called the, the government out and the government called him back and Boris Johnson uh, has appointed you as a government advisor um, for uh, youth mental health as an, as an you're working as an ambassador so he doesn't get paid for this but he's got a table at the t- a seat at the top table and, and and you're haranguing these people into actually listening to what you've just explained to us would anybody here be averse to those changes do you think anybody would sit here and go that's a terrible idea no it's, it just makes sense doesn't it so how are you going to convert uh, your position as a government advisor into tangible change so that kids aren't waiting three years to see a counsellor well look my role really the reason I'm in this position is because of all you guys because I started the campaign and uh, millions of people um, literally millions uh, liked supported shared and tried to make the make what happened happened and I was appointed in the role um, my job is actually to raise awareness of things that we need to change but also to tackle things like anti-stigma campaigns like where I started post your pill and so on so there's kind of two it's a two-pronged attack I am not a mental health expert that is not my role I am uh, you know I am someone who's worked in the hospital I've seen the sharp end I've experienced and seen mental illness uh, in my family I've experienced it in myself and I'm someone that I think with my platform can can there's a stick that we can use <laughs> the carrot and the old stick um for me I'm really frustrated at the moment because quite frankly we were this close to getting 200 million for the support hubs uh, and then obviously Boris has left a lot of people are very happy about that but in a selfish way um, because my I'm very very focused on what I want to achieve that's knocked me back six months or more you know I had to, so you know, is that support not there anymore then Alex not not in terms of the government but there's a new administration has to come in mm-hmm. I'm still in this role it doesn't change that but I now have to and people forget it's not just the Prime Minister that goes this is 200 plus advisors and I tell you what there were some great people in that there were some some people maybe not so great but there were some great people that really cared about mental health uh, in that kind of uh, in that building and now we have to kind of convince a, a new um, oh, section that's so of frustrating. people but just to, I mean one of my things that's fascinating is um, when you look into the numbers last year mental illness cost the economy 90 billion pounds cost 90 billion 90 that's billion. illness uh, and when you look at um, and this is why I'm trying to persuade that we shift towards uh, early inter- early intervention and prevention because it's actually pretty cheap comparative to what the costs are. Does anyone have any guesses how much money or how much it costs for a child to be admitted to a mental health uh, ward uh, to an institution? Does anyone have a guess of the average cost? My daughter, my daughter okay. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Do, do you know how, does anyone have a guess how much it cost? Yeah, how, how much do you would you, know how you say that is? Fortunes. Fortunes. So I have a guess. Any numbers? For how long have you had today? Five hundred and fifty. So the so the ab so the, in the UK the average cost of an admission obviously because people ha- can have prolonged admissions and the treatment they receive as well as the staying on the ward is on average two hundred and fifty thousand pounds per child. What? So it's hugely expensive. And um, so if we can if we can put two hundred million into these hubs, which will serve half a million children a year in England. If we save even some children, I'm, I'm talking purely if you look at money and forget all the ethical reasons that we should fund the hubs, if you can stop even a 
a few children, we will quickly pay for those hubs. And, wow. and this is not. Even, this isn't even just about you know the fact if you but get. Why children, is this only being pointed out to them now? Surely somebody must have made this case uh, previously. Uh, people have made the case. I don't think that we. I don't think that mental health has been given anywhere near the attention it deserves for a very long time. Um, and 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 the thing that that baffles me in many ways is, and I think we've we've really missed a trick in schools is that if we focus less on grades and academia and success in the traditional way and focus more on creating a well-rounded young person who can deal with the difficulties and challenges in life, they will go out into the working world and they're able to cope with adversity. They can recognise when they need to ask for help and get support. So more holistic and pastoral care rather than you need to get your grades up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I see you've got your hand up. Mental health Brilliant. Claire's fantastic. She's my mental health mum. <laughs> I love her. And the amount of work that we put into mental health for our children is amazing. amazing. Coming back after COVID, it's not so much the children, it's the parents that need focus on. It's yep. The children, yeah. with those parents who are struggling, are the ones that really well thank you of course because we don't even look at that in that if that is how does thing is a, a, a parent with with poor mental yeah. health how does that compound the child but it's also the mental health of teachers as well yeah um, that we need to support and you can't go right okay on top of everything you've got to do teachers now you have to teach mental health as well we have to recruit employ and train to allow space within school. I mean a lot of schools uh, I take it out of their own budgets don't they they have to they go do you know what we have to pay no for no budget so, so a book like the, the one that Alex has written so we've seen um, how well the A Better Day you're, you, it is, is, well, we can see what's in there. It's a manual for young people to read at their leisure to better serve them with the toolkit that they need to just deal with some of those really big bumps in the road that hit you as you, you, as you go from the ages of 10 up until, well, mm. you know, 25, I suppose. Mm. Um, is that a valuable resource? And does that resource already exist? I think we are lucky enough to have a mental health vision. So she's built a capacity within our structure. So we have a mental health leader with a pupil counsellor. Wow. Counsellor. So but the problem is, is we can only see six to 12 children a term. She needs to see more. We're a school of 500 children. Is that wow. attached to a mental health support team? Have you got a mental health support team attached to the school? Yeah. So, so we're rolling out. So people, so for anyone that hasn't heard of it, so um, uh, in the Green Paper in 2000. 18, I think it was, um, the government promised that they'd have a mental health support team for every school. Uh, and that would be basically you'd have an educational psychologist uh, a counsellor that would sit within the centre of that support team uh, with other colleagues that would that kind of work amongst that team. And they'd basically support a cluster of schools. And then you'd have a mental health lead who was a teacher who was nominated and trained and given, given resources and training to kind of work with those teams, identify children that are struggling. So when I started the role, part of getting that role was I bargained to have 80 million <laughs> to uh, to help trying to roll, speed the rollout of those and I think we've got 35-40% of schools uh, covered by the end of about this year but we uh, but we need to really speed that up because now more than ever the kids are really really struggling I mean eating disorders are right on the fastest rise they've ever been um, so 
So, you know, there's a lot of theories as to why that is. There's an element potentially of, around control. It's a, it's a potentially a repercussion of trauma that they've seen and experienced at the pandemic. So now more than ever, you have to support these young people. And to make this point, and the reason but we I'm mustn't so... forget that eating disorders are a mental illness. And, it, and it's serious. The, the, the eating disorders have a 20% mortality rate. That is the highest mortality rate of any illness. Not just mental health. Is that right? Of any illness. Is a, yes, wow. absolutely. It, it, it is the highest mortality rate of any. That's more than cancers. It's the highest mortality rate. So, you know, this kind of idea, the stigma of, oh, they'll get over, they'll grow out of it. It's just fussy eating or whatever, which is some of the things that people are told and have been told. Um, it's a really serious thing. So we are really worried about it. And, you know, we, we should be teaching. Uh, you know, it's so important that we we give schools the resources to spot kids that are, that are starting to have eating disorders. And the other big, um, the, the, the mistake that we make as well is we think it's just about girls. Eating disorders affect men. It just looks different. So um, in society, being extremely thin, uh, and, and don't forget weight isn't actually necessarily related to eating disorders, but the, the society's pictures that a thin person might have anorexia or have an eating disorder. Um, but with men, often it might present of uh, overtraining, gymming twice a day, eating loads. But because aesthetically we think, oh, the guy's in shape and he's big and strong, that isn't an illness. But, you know, in the UK, there's, I think we've nearly hit, a, there's believed to be around a million young adults who take anabolic steroids um, for aesthetic purposes. Over 95% of anab anabolic and, and, steroids. And what they do to the mind is, is, is really yeah, It's serious. Serious, and, yeah. And, and for men, uh, the sharp end of eating disorders is often suicide. So uh, we have to take it very, very seriously for men and for women, actually. I mean, that's something you felt the pressure. I know you've you've written about this because you you try to approach everything that you do with mental health by saying, I kind of understand this because I have experienced myself. When you went into Love Island, you felt that you had to look a certain way and therefore change the way you lived. You became quite obsessed with your appearance. So did that give you some insight? And Yeah, I think I had an incredibly unhealthy relationship with food. I trained twice a day. I saw food as a weapon almost, a weapon uh, training and eating and it became an obsession I didn't see my friends you know it was you know leading up to that show it was very very unhealthy um, and actually I think you know, we, we can kind of blame Love Island for everything but in reality um, and reality TV in general there's a huge pressure on young people and social media is probably the biggest pressure um, yeah. in terms of how people feel that they should look um, I was speaking to um, I think some, we really need to put some governance around social media it is the wild west and the damage we I mean we are only just starting to feel in touch it I believe and I and, and there is no way that you would like on telly for example we're regulated on radio we're regulated yes, on the internet we are not and there's a reason we need regulation and governance because we need sensible rules to provide framework for good behavior. Well, this phone is more powerful than the rocket that went to the moon. And yet, you know, I wouldn't, if, if I said to you, do you fancy going flying a plane? You'd be like, just with no lessons and jump in a plane and have a go. There's no chance you'd want, give me some lessons. Give me, you know, teach me. I want to learn and be safe and accredited to do this. But yet children take a phone and they have the whole world, that everything that's on the internet at their fingertips. And it's not being anti-social media or anti-technology. In reality, young people are going to be working online. I mean, more than, more than ever, I mean, most young people now will have some capacity with their career or their life is, you know, is represented online in some way. So we've got to teach them in a safe way. We can't ignore the problem. We've got to look at it seriously and go, do you know what? 
it is what it is. There's good and bad points. But it's of not taught at school. Would you or like? Would you... To, I mean, I I think that mental health and the use and practice of social media is something that we should be looking at putting on the curriculum, because we do. And it's part of the national curriculum. We have to teach children how to ask. Mm. But being safe online, and it, it goes beyond yeah. that. It's, it's, that's like saying, I've taught you how to swim so you can dive yeah. and get a brick in your pajamas. But can you swim to a, you know, it's, it's I think it we need to more do more. Space. It and needs we need to, to have do better. more focus. We've got to because, um, you know, it, otherwise, I, I mean, we cannot just allow children to just learn and fail on online. I think the, the, the risks of that is is huge. And I, I do believe you've got to let people learn, it, make their own mist- learn and make their own mistakes. But, you know, the, the how damaging it can be we cannot under underestimate and the bullying point is really really important i mean we started yeah. um uh, don't face it alone two years ago um a campaign that we did with diana ward and number 10 and myself and uh, honestly speaking to the young people about what they experience online because you know in person it can be name calling it can be physical or whatever but online a lot of it looks like exclusional like so for example girls said to me that um what the bullies used to do is they'd say no one's allowed to comment or like or my picture and what they'll do on a friday is they'll go out all together take a picture together post it and exclude that person so how do you manage that how as a teacher for example how can you begin to to deal with that issue but how, how do yeah, you do it but that's that's an unfair expectation on you guys as well and are you trained for that is there a resource there uh, to make sure that somebody's coming in to give you the toolkit you need I, I doubt it yeah. I mean, it's great. Yeah. What you do, what you're doing is great, but um, I think it's important to say that it's probably not representative. Well, it is, and I know it's not representative of most of the country, really, is yeah. in terms of delivery. It's yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And what Wales have done, I think, is a real step forward. I mean, they've got their full purpose approach now. So well-being is actually one of those pillars or purposes. And you, that sits at the same level as the other subjects. And that's, that is important because, you know, if you've got offset coming in and you know they're going to be looking at your maths attainment and your English attainment, all these different things, and mental health gets ticked if you do one lecture a year, then clearly your focus is going to be there. But that's why it's important, isn't it? The, we have to change the way that we assess schools and expectations of teachers, but we also have to put money and resources behind behind it. You can't just go, right, we're going to teach mental health now and just do that. No, you're absolutely right. One of the things Alex was really keen to say. Okay, just taking a pause to tell you about AG1, also supporting this particular podcast. AG1, I'm asked all the time about the one thing I do to take care of my health. If I could pick only just one product, it would be foundational nutrition. And AG1 is a top foundational nutrition product. I can't think of any other daily routine that pays off as well as AG1, according to people that I really look up to who really know their stuff. AG1 is recommended by such luminaries as Rich Roll, the amazing professor, Dr. Andrew Schieberman. 
Tim Ferriss and our one, our only Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. AG1 was created in 2010 and it's helped millions of mornings begin on a healthier foundation ever since. My wife takes it, I take it, even our 14-year-old son Noah takes it now. He swears by it. AG1 is not only a high-quality all-in-one solution for daily foundational nutrition, it also saves you time, confusion and money compared to individual supplements that can add up to a small fortune. AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic and much more in one simple drinkable habit. AG1 is great bang for my buck as it replaces a lot of these other supplements like a daily multivitamin minerals pre and probiotics for my gut health adaptogens and a greens blend literally all in one scoop of powder i think there's 75 different supplements in each scoop science-driven formulation of vitamins probiotics and whole food source nutrients ag1 is raising the standard for quality in the supplement category just one daily serving gives me the comprehensive foundational nutrition I need. Go to drinkag1.com slash how to wow. That's drinkag1.com slash how to wow. Give it a go. Check it out. Let us know how it lands. And now back to the wow. And push is that we see mental health being put on the curriculum is the same way we do PE because if we're invested in our physical selves we should be invested in our mental selves I know that that is a mountain that you've got to move in terms of building the case to get that on the curriculum but is it something that you are committed to? There's actually um, there's a really good project going on actually with some consultants from EY um, who uh, basically want to use the kind of leverage to actually get it on the curriculum the way that they want to do it which I think is quite smart is that they want to use the angle of science so um, you know fighting for space in the curriculum is very difficult but if we can make a strong case that actually if it's taught as part of science almost and it, then then, it, then it's a re- there's a really good argument for it to slot within that kind of part of education but for something that's so vitally important we're trying to kind of squeeze it into existing slots on a schedule we've got to start somewhere we've though don't start, we we've got yeah. to start but I think you know my focus is the support hubs because I think those will be the case proving the case of why why mental health can be teaching about mental health why support can actually make such a difference and with that kind of case I think then we'll build that's the next step really is getting overhauling parts of the curriculum because you know the PGC well the uh, PHSE sorry um, curriculum mental health is part of that but that's only part of it isn't there's a lot of other aspects within it so we want to make sure we're not squeezing it we want to make sure it's got space what I've applauded you for previously and I will do it again today because it deserves a big shout out is the way Alex takes his message and, and he puts it in the most unlikely places like Love Island um, or like OnlyFans so everything that he's talking about today he's serving as free content on OnlyFans the last place in the world you'd expect a doctor to be talking uh, in great detail and you put a lot of work into the content that you serve and it's all it's all free you do it without any payment you're quite remarkable but your determination to find audience and convert them to to your way of thinking is voracious and i think it's 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 really commendable and we need more dr alex thank you that's very kind thank you because none of this stuff gets paid for and because he's so busy with all of this and has made such a commitment to the work that you do with the government you've had to step back from working in A&E yeah, so I've actually stop, he's yeah. not even earning properly now <laughs> thankfully I've been able to get you into school three years ago full of and it didn't happen because of COVID 
Yeah. Well, I've got I've got a list of schools, and I I always say I will get I'll get to everyone. I will, and I try and I've go to I've been to Scotland, I've been to Ireland, I've been around Wales, uh, obviously around parts of England as well. I try to go around as many schools as I can. But yeah, I've had to step away from A and E. It just isn't time. I'm very fortunate. I've built you know other business ventures that basically fund and allow me this privilege because being able to volunteer in this role is a privilege. I mean, I'm very lucky to be able to do what I what I do. And I, and I asked you actually as well. My dad is dad. Give a wave. He'll be shy. Dad, my dad is doing amazing work as well mum and dad started Lit for Mental Health um, after my brother passed away and he died by suicide and and uh, I think Dad was saying earlier on, as of about now, they've been doing about a year, they've raised, uh, through the sale of things that my mum and, pe- and people within the knitting community knit, they've raised £70,000 for Isn't children's charities and stuff, which I think is amazing. Um, and my dad, he, he does all, he, he is basically head of operations. So he does the packaging, the posting, the driving <laughs> around. Uh, how, how many things have you knitted, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> he's still, still on the, the first one. The first woolly hat, but uh, they're doing a great job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and, and we. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and then that's the point. Well, I mean, I you think- see why you're like this because the apple never falls far from the tree. You can, you know, again, huge. Congratulations to you and your wife for finding a positive way to remember your son um, and to help other families that so that they don't sit here and have to live with the same sense of loss that you have. I think yeah. you're 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 all built of really quite incredible stock. That's kind. I think the most important thing, one of the most important things you can do for your own mental health is to be kind and help other people. I'm not trying to say like, you know, I'm trying to, you know, save the world or whatever, but if you can do one thing that can help someone else, you you will you will help that person, but that sense of um, purpose and that help within you and what that does to you is we ca- we shouldn't underestimate that. And I think in the modern world, we're losing a little bit, you know, the, the, the realisation that helping another human helping another person and being kind without expecting to receive is like a potion for the soul it really is it really is Mindful, yeah. Well, should we get some? Should we get some mics out? Because I know you ladies have got some questions. Yes, and if you've anybody's got questions for Alex, you know, please please put your hands up. So what I don't understand is when I was growing up, things were very different. What has changed so much to make mental health as bad as it is now? Whereas thirty years ago. It just didn't. We had issues, but not. But we did have issues, but it yeah. wasn't like it well, is now. Do you think we talked about them less, though? There's Do you know theme. what I think it is? I'm not, I'm not overtake, overtaking you. I think it's. I think it's bragging on Facebook. And what brag, do you mean? Bragging on social media. My kids grew up with not much. And all these people putting their stuff on Facebook, the new shoes, the new Keeping makeup. up with the Joneses, is that what you mean? And my daughter would look at it and just wish for these things. FOMO. Fear of missing out, yeah? Is that, I don't know. I don't know. Well, Alex, what do but you think? Do you, I, well, I think there's, there's quite a, there's a few things. For, first of all, we didn't used to recognise mental illness as mental illness. So there's so many people that were struggling uh, and we were losing so many lives that we were not attributing to mental illness. Um, I think we are now, uh, re- people are more open now than ever to admit that they're struggling, particularly men are getting better. We've got a long way to go, but people are admitting this issue. So that's the first thing. I think the other point is the, 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 the game has changed, if you like, in life. I mean, I, 
again, I go back to when I was younger. You know, I came home from school. You had your own bubble. We, we were fortunate enough to have, um, you know, countryside in Wales that I could enjoy. And I think there was this great connection with nature, with people around me, rather than your phone. On average, children now spend between three and four hours a day on their phones. There has always been a big um, kind of conversation around is social media, is technology, is social media good or bad? The truth is it's both. But one thing we do know from evidence is that the longer you spend on your phone, the higher the rates of anxiety, depression, uh, and mental illness. So it's screen time that really matters. So it's one thing you really want to do to improve your levels of anxiety. Reduce think, that. Reduce your screen time and, and check what you're And there are settings at. on phones so you can, you can set how long you're allowed. Yeah. You're, you're allowing yourself or your children to spend on an app. And I would also say the point around, sorry, but the point around what people see is very important. When was the last time that you went on your Instagram and looked who you followed and un unfollowed accounts that made you feel bad? Why do we look at things, and I, I know we all do it every day, yeah. that actually make us feel bad? If you're going to spend time online, make sure you're looking at things that educate you, they make you happy, they teach you something, and unfollow things. So if you're following things that are triggering jealousy within your anger, unfollow. unfollow. And if you're worried about, oh gosh, yeah, but I know them, I'll see them, work. mute them. People don't have to know that you don't see it, but for God's sake, protect your own yeah. boundaries. I think the you, other- you don't I mean, even have to unfollow. You can just hit mute or restrict. And then, so you, you're not even hurting their feelings in yeah. case they're thinking, why have you stopped following me? And the final um, one I want to talk about really quick. Sorry, sorry. No, no, I just want to talk about this. And the one that we don't talk about enough, climate change. If you look at the top causes for um, anxiety, for worry amongst young people, financial worry is really high because we're living in a world where we'll look what's going on, on around us at the moment. Uh, and But climate change is right up there in surveys because even if you don't think about it every day, there is a deep discomfort with the worry about what's going on in the world because young people, they, you know, as we get older, you know, we're going to be around for so long, but someone that's 15 now is thinking, well, what am I going to grow into in this? Like, yeah. What is the climate? Are we going to have a planet? Like, look at these heat waves, look at these fires that are happening in the summer, all this kind of stuff. You know, there's a deep worry um, around what that will mean. And the Royal College of Psychiatrists um, and uh, Dr. Adrian James, who's, a, who's the president, he's an amazing guy, um, and they posted um, around the COP summit um, about mental illness. Everyone's like, what, how, why are they talking about mental illness, talking about climate change? He said, no, one of the biggest causes of what we're seeing on the ground of, for young people is fear of, will we have a planet in 20, 30, 40, 50 years? And it might sound extreme and, and so on, but we shouldn't underestimate how much that does worry young people, and it should. And it should, yeah, quite right. Does anybody else have questions for Alex? Yes, thank you. Hello. Hello there. Uh, I've got two questions, if that's okay. Thank you. You mentioned earlier about 50% um, of issues with children are down to bullying. Is your task force going to look at tackling that rather than the end result where you don't have the, uh, the resources to actually deal with? And the second question is, is, that, is there a chance that nowadays we're medicalizing far too many symptoms than what we should be doing, which really links up to the first question, which means in actual fact that the resources for the children and all the kids who really need it aren't being used on them because it's trying to catch all. So what was the first question? Yeah, we're struggling to I'm hear you up here, sorry. All right, sorry. The first question is about, um, you mentioned earlier about bullying yeah. and it's causing 50% plus more issues bullying. with kids. Yep. Is your task for looking to 
hid that cause rather than the end result. Let's let's yeah. start with that as, yeah. a, as the so as so, a so, um, so the point. online harm online harms bill is a part of that is supposed to crack down on uh, certain kinds of um, uh, so content abusive trolling all these kind of things. But one thing it really doesn't and won't do is help with the kind of nuances of bullying, like I talked about an example that I said um, earlier. And I think that's why and Dan Award actually are the, the the guys that really are focusing on this. They want to see um, the way that we educate around bullying at school uh, focused upon and ways in which we can actually because the problem is like I said teachers can't help really with the online stuff what can you do how can you police that we need to educate young people to really realise how but, damaging but, it can be but the be. government can do that the government can yes, insist it, on regulations yeah. and, and they I think can that, do I think something I'd be interested to see what the, on, the final online harms bill really looks like yeah. your second point is absolutely right and that is the reason I want these hubs is that we should be you know when when someone is struggling because under pressure with exams they're worried and it's it's making them very nervous and they're, 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 all of a sudden there's a, like a, the beginnings of maybe what you might see as symptoms of anxiety if we get in there and help that person give them the tools to understand how to deal with stress how to you know stress management whether that's through exercise uh teen sport, meditation, mindfulness, whatever it is, if we get in there, we can prevent labels of illness. Because a lot of the stuff we feel, you know, we shouldn't demonize emotions. Sadness, anger, happiness, joy, jealousy, all these different things, they're all emotions that have a role. We shouldn't demonize yeah. sadness. If, if someone dies, it's sad. We should experience sadness. And you if cannot you be exam, happy all of the no, time. And and you happiness should is, be Happiness is a, is a silly dream to look for. Peace is a better, I think, thing to look for. But it, 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 the point is, if you have an exam next week and you feel anxiety in your stomach, that's because you've got an exam next week and you care. So it's important that we're not demonising things that are normal and we're not labelling people, but it's also really important we don't allow things to drag on and on and become a big problem. I'm a big believer that if you get in early and you can you can educate, you can give the support, you can prevent people ending up with, with big issues. I mean, eating disorders is a prime example of that. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about the importance of nuance, you're quite right. If you're going to be sitting your exams... To say, I've got anxiety about my exams. No, you're nervous about your exams, which is an entirely normal emotion to experience as you approach a, a situation like that. But if you're it? nervous, if you if you have experiencing anxiety all year round, regardless of exams that's, or not, that's then that's a different thing. So yeah. it's learning. It's it's. It, but we've got to educate. I mean, one of the things I think is really important, we should teach uh, young people what happens if you have a panic attack. What What is a panic attack? So, you know, the physiological response that you have during a panic attack is the same as if there's a saber-toothed tiger stood in that room. Just because there's not something that's going to kill you in the room does not mean that your physiological response that what you're experiencing your is fear real. is such yeah. you know if you if you think there's a if there was a saber-toothed tiger in this uh, on this stage right now uh i'd probably be running that way but before i do that my adrenal glands would be kicking out adrenaline cortisol surge my heart rate's going really fast blood is moving away from my gut into my muscles parts of my brain are shutting down that are not beneficial towards dealing with the danger in the room so that experience is horrendous you have a sense of impending doom real, right? because you think you're going to die there's a saber tooth tiger there the problem is when you're having a panic attack and i've had them they're horrendous right. is that your your brain perceives that there is a threat that's equivalent to this thing that could kill you right but it isn't there so part of what we found is really really helpful for people with panic attacks is that if you actually teach them what is happening physiologically mm -hmm. your brain can then go right i know what i'm feeling is real i'm not actually going to die and then that first acceptance of that going i'm not going to die i'm going to be okay really starts helpful. to down regulate that and then give them the tools to down regulate from a panic attack and actually for a lot of people just educating them what happens during a panic attack prevents that one ever happening again. 
That isn't always the case. But for a lot of people, that changes the game. But also you can approach it like you do if you suffer migraines, for example. You go, I know I've got a migraine coming. I know how this is going to play out. I've got the tools to deal with it. So with a panic attack, what would be the first advice that you would give? It's not it's not a prescription. It's breath work, right? There's lots of different ways you can do it. Different things work for different people. I mean, um, I on my podcast, The Stompcast, um, which uh, we've started and uh, I absolutely love doing, walking. And if there's one if there's one thing you really want to help your soul, walk in nature. Be kind and walk in nature. Um, that we, we do it. I do it every week with the guests that we record, it's and we do the five. By the way. We, do the, we do the five senses. So when we're out on the walk, I get my guests to go right. Let's go to the five senses. What can you see? And we, we describe what we can see. What can you hear? There's birds and the thing, or you can hear a car in the distance, whatever. What can you touch? Let's touch the grass below us. And every one of my guests have said they feel better afterwards. Now, if if you're in a situation where a panic attack's beginning and your brain thinks there's a saber-toothed tiger in the room, by following those steps and really focusing on all your different senses, you are grounding yourself. It's brilliant. I find it really helps. The other thing you can do well, is But you're also not work. catastrophizing. Bre- you're, you're being present, right? And b- breath work is another one. I mean, I, I mean, I personally find the five senses helps me, but other people say breath work. So going, right, let's just focus just on my breathing. Let's, let's just leave everything else that's going on right now. Let's sit down and let's go through my breath work, counting my breaths. And, and, and when we there. say breath work, it sounds like a job. It's not. It's. I mean, most people advise <laughs> the four, is it four, four, eight? Yeah. Yeah. So you you can you can do it with inhalation, holding, breathing out. Really, all that matters is you're focusing on the present moment. That yeah. is what ultimately is, matters. Yeah. You're in that moment because you know it's it's um, people talk about this, and I think it's oversimplified. But you know, anxiety is about worrying in, about the future, and you know, depression they say is like you know the sadness you feel from the from the past. I mean, it. it it, but as serving as a purpose for the for the anecdote is that if you're truly present and you're in the moment you are in, then there should be no such thing of, of what you're experiencing worry and about the past because you're in you know you're in that moment. So grounding is trying to bring you out of the worry, out of the fear, out of the past, out of the future, and bring you into the present moment. So five senses. So, I mean, just that is really helpful, right? For you to pass that around to your kids, to your friends. Can I, I, can I say another one? Actually, yes, I would say, and I I've, I've, I say this to schools I go to as well. And I'd love people to try this. Um, have we got lots of families here and like got children and people with children? Great. So um, uh, one of the things I'd love you to try is the traffic light system. Now, this was started in um, in hospitals amongst intensive care nurses. So intensive care nurses do a handover in the morning and the evening. So the, basically the changing of, changing of the guard, really, for nurses. And uh, I think it was UCL that started this. Anyway, uh, the, the lead nurse started a system where they go, right, traffic light. We're going to go around the room. I want you to say whether you're red, uh, amber, or green. So red, you feel really bad. You don't feel good today. Amber, mm, okay, green, I feel good. And they did this and they went around the room. They, they had this system and it allowed the senior nurses to identify people that are struggling early that were on the verge with Amber or people that really needed help. And you could really identify and help that person. Now, this has been adapted to for families. And I think it's a great way. If you want to break down stigma in the household, break down barriers between you know uh, what we see men should be and speaking to children and so on, it's a great technique. So if you sit down at the dinner table in the evening uh, and I'm going to pretend you nuclear family, so I don't know, mum and dad, three kids. If you go around the room and say, how you feel? So red, amber, green, you might go, right, I feel amber today. I feel pretty stressed. Um, Work's been really busy, but on the weekend, I'm excited because we're going to go and do something as a family. It's going to be really nice. And you work your way around the room. And if, you know, if if the child goes, I'm green, why do you feel green? Oh, well, because I saw my friends today. Okay, so you've had human connection. Um, Oh, I feel green because I was outside playing. We enjoyed sports. You did a bit of exercise. No, that's a really good point. We don't talk about the stuff that makes us feel good and give it the same credence. We do so stuff learn that us. when the, when you feel good. Why do you feel good? Yeah. What are the things that are helping you? Because then you can recognise the patterns that put you in a bad place.
place. Mm. And the big thing that that does, not only does you allow you to really talk openly with, with your family and the people around you, it also breaks down those barriers of like the dad and like male male stigmas and not being able to speak because you're normalizing something. You're, the, the, you know, the young boy growing up is going, oh, well, dad talks about, dad just said he's stressed. He's never said that before. Mm. He's, or he feels sad today because of this. And it, it's a really good platform. And what does it take? Two minutes yeah. of your day? And if you can, and it allows you to identify. Great, I've not, I've not heard of that. If, you know, if your child goes and read three or four days in a row, you know there's a problem there. Mm. But that could have gone unnoticed for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it's very simple, simple thing. The, yeah, it's simple. Make it simple, and if you practice every day, you I, I challenge you to try it every day for two weeks, and I guarantee you, by the end of the two weeks, everyone's more open. Exactly. Yeah. You're normalizing something. You're sitting around the dinner table. You're having your dinner. You do. You go through the traffic light system. You normalize it, and I guarantee you, within a, yeah, a you few make weeks, it part of the everyday. People will just relax more yeah. about it, and they will talk about it. I've got time for one more question. Uh, you had your hand up in the corner, I think. Here. Oh yes. Hello <laughs> there. Bottom this, left. This bottom left. Yeah. Bottom Thank left. you. Thank you. Hello, can you hear me? Hi, hi. Um, I just want to say we're both really big fans of yours. Um, and I'm in medical school at the moment and you're just a huge inspiration. So thank oh. You. Oh, well, thank you as oh. well. <laughs> We need more what doctors. What year are you? What, me- what med school and what year? What Birmingham, me- and I just started fourth year. Amazing. And how are you doing? Oh, it's okay. It's quite hard. It's, hard <laughs> it's work, a lot so. of work. But when are, you, when are your there. finals? Um, not till 2024. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So I got a while. Um, no, I just wanted to ask. You mentioned earlier. Um, oh, sorry. Right. Um, just put it back slightly that's it you mentioned earlier about um, your uh, kind of mental health going into Love Island and uh, sort of your bad relationship with food and like worries about your body image um, I was just wondering how that experience affected your mental health afterwards obviously becoming a big um, social media presence and suddenly yeah. getting all that fame how did that experience affect you yeah. you're quite right because all the things that we've identified yeah. as being triggers uh, for poor mental health you had in a an abundance when you left that show yeah. not knowing whether or not actually you'd be welcomed back onto the wards or just yeah. uh, laughed at really yeah. well we, we spoke just before we come on stage and this incredible lady has been on TV for 25 years not amazing <laughs> you're still young and incredibly beautiful but isn't I it am amazing very old. I am very all that old. stress to be on TV for 25 years yeah. is a very very unusual to actually kind of keep keep your head going <laughs> throughout that time yeah, but I, don't, I don't think I would have done 25 years if I'd have started in a world of social media really would you say no that no way no 100% no I wasn't tough enough um, and, and it requires great resilience to pretend that you don't care what people think about you when actually everything we're talking about kindness being aware of other people's feelings about you and towards you if you're a good person you should care about that stuff so to, to try to pretend that you don't is odd yeah I mean when I came out of the show I mean it was just I mean I went I didn't apply for the show my consultant actually in A&E loved the show really wanted me to go on it and anyway they asked me and I was like look they've been asked me to go on Love Island I was like I don't want to do it and she's like you're going on it um, so thanks Anna um, so she basically pushed me to go on the show and I thought I'll be on there for two weeks I'll be back in A&E I'll have a nice tan which I didn't, that never happened uh, <laughs> and I'll be back on the show and yeah I was there the whole time I came out I mean I went in with 
200 followers came out with a million followers. So yeah. I didn't I didn't know how to do a story uh, even on my phone. Uh, when I actually came out, a really old iPhone, I opened it and it, it literally exploded. It died. It's a lot. As though, I turned it on, it was like ping, ping, ping and yeah. just like died. But it's, it is a lot to walk into. It was and incredibly I, stressful. I, I, felt, I felt lost for at least six months. The best yeah. thing I ever did though was going back to A&E because when you feel lost in life, you know, every human, the reason I start the first chapter of Live Every Day is finding purpose because nothing, nothing in your life matters if you don't have purpose. You can talk about sleep and exercise, all the other things. If you don't have a reason to be and you don't feel a sense of purpose in your life, then you've got you've got no foundations to start from. So I felt really lost. So going back to A&E gave me my purpose again. I was like, right, I remember who I am. Yeah. I remember who I am. And from there, everything else has, has kind of happened. So yeah, it, it's it, it, it was scary. And also, don't forget, when I came out of the show 2018, there weren't many doctors online, you know, really. Now, I think it's fantastic. There are so many more medics yeah. online, educating, but, teaching. But it was you, stigmatized. You, you helped oh to make God, that okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, people were, some doctors like, oh my God, he's online. What's he doing? You know, I mean, what would you have, what would you have done in the pandemic if it wasn't for medics, doctors, nurses talking about what they're really seeing and fighting the actual misinformation that was online? Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff online about COVID was, it wasn't even laughable. It was really ridiculous. Damaging. And thankfully, um, the lot of medics came online and said, no, actually, this is what's really happening. You know, uh, whether it was that nurse that was, um, the, there was that viral clip of the nurse who'd finished the shift and yeah. couldn't go and buy food um, and was like, you know, this is what we're experiencing, please, you know, yeah. like think about us or whatever. And it was just, yeah. So I think, I think social media can be really powerful. It can be right, it really good. But yeah, I find it hard sometimes. I mean, for example, you know, I, I got the role. Loads of people really happy. Loads of people are like, oh, he's, he's, he's not a professor. Why is he the mental health? Other people are going, oh, he's not even that young. So I was like, do you want me to be young and be a professor? And um, experienced. Which do you want me to be? <laughs> uh, do you want me to be both? I mean, what, what do you want me to be? Um, you know, it's like when I said, oh, right, we've got 80 million towards mental health support teams. I remember someone tweeted going, oh, that's not enough. Why didn't you get 100? I was like, okay, fine. You, well, you go and get the 100 million then. But it, it, you've got a lot of it. You've got to let things roll off your shoulders. Yeah. And you've got that's to what it, but you know what? That I think comes with, with time. And I think like that fast fame experience of Love Island where you go into a show with however many thousand followers and come out with a million that is that is a very fast experience and you've in got nine to, weeks yeah and and I had a chance to acclimatise to it week in week out year in year out and and I qualified as a therapist because I really yeah. did understand the value of better mental health because I'd had mine impacted so heavily you have all the tools to look after yourself I worry for the people that don't Alex the ones that go in there that don't have your level of self-awareness and intelligence to be able to to, to, to police themselves and look after themselves and especially young men we see terrifying numbers around young men taping, taking their own lives well men are ten times more likely to take their yeah. own life I mean this is this is an exemplification of I think that you know and it really really shocks me when you actually dig into things and just think about why we treat mental health the way we do you know if you start a new job you've got to do fire safety how many people die in the workplace of fires okay how how common is that it's not very common what kills people in, that work in the workplace may not be right there when they're there is suicide. I mean, the biggest cause of death under the age of 40 is people taking their own lives. So why do we not have mental health first aid compulsory? Uh, you know, in the same way you have to do fire safety and have people that are trained in fire safety. Why don't we have mental health? Why, yeah. yeah. Why is that not on, you know, why is that not 
there, you know, in you know, in writing that we all have to have that kind of preparation for. Yeah. And then when when people go and do things, and it, it, there's very few people who will go on TV, right? But a lot of people go into stressful situations, right? Whether it's starting as a doctor, you're going as a med student. When you when you when you graduate, you're gonna have to move to a new place. When you move to a new place, you're gonna make maybe new friends. You've got to have yeah. a new area to get used to, find a new gym or whatever it is. You know, if we can help people, they'll deal with adversity and pressure. Like you know, social media is an example of that coming out with lots of followers. But lots of young people have just as much pressure because they see things like you know as influencers got this or they have a lovely car or whatever and that puts a lot of pressure on those yeah. people they might not have millions of followers but the impact on their mental health can be just as much as mine That's with profound. lots of followers yeah there is so much we could talk about and the fact is that we've only just scratched the surface but we do sadly have to wrap things up um, but Alex is going to be doing another session later aren't you uh, I don't know when <laughs> you're, on start, you're, on, you're on, the, on the other stage over there so any of you that didn't get your questions pop along and see him a little later this afternoon I'm also um, signing books I think as well yes. somewhere Waterstones is that right? Yeah. Over, there. over there somewhere yeah so there's two books that are available one for us grown ups and one for our younger readers and I would implore all of you to pick them up um honestly i mean i when when alex and i spoke for my podcast and i've had both books sent to me and as a courtesy anybody that goes to the effort of writing a book i will read it if they come on my show and i read it and i learned a lot and i thought that i was pretty well read on this stuff so um fantastic work alex you do so much your dad sat here today he must be inordinately proud of all that you do of not when i was on love island i doubt apart apart, yeah but the love island bit got him you know to, to to government and and you know to number 10 um you're a really good person and um, so are you so and are a brilliant you. doctor you. and thank you very much for your time ladies thank and gentlemen you coming. dr alex george thanks everyone You've been listening to Dr. Alex George discussing his best-selling book, A Better Day. And if you enjoy this kind of stuff, there's more of it live at this year's CarFest. Go to carfest.org for tickets and all profits go to mostly children's charities here in the UK.